Welcome to the Diversity at Work podcast, where we unpack what it's really going to take to close the gender gap in the workplace. Here is your host, leadership coach and diversity consultant, Andrea Jansen. Hello, welcome to the Diversity at Work podcast. It's Andrea Jansen here, and on this episode, I interviewed David Hudak, who spent 32 years in senior leadership positions in the Navy. And I sat down with him today to talk about what it's like to lead in crisis situations, because we are navigating uncertain times right now. And I was looking for a perspective different from the typical business books on how to step up be there for your team, and also what it looks like to be a leader today. I'm so excited to share this interview with you today. I learned a lot and I hope you do too. Hey, before we dive into this week's episode, I wanted to take a minute to tell you about Ambitious Every Day. It is all of the exercises that I take my coaching clients through in the form of a journal to help you focus and take action towards your goals. And here's the great news. If you subscribe to our newsletter, you get 11 pages of the journal for free as a PDF right to your inbox. So head on over to ambitiontheory.ca and sign up. Hi, David. Thank you so much for coming on the Diversity at Work podcast. Can you introduce yourself and explain what you do? Thanks very much, Andrea. I'm David Hudock. I work for PCL Construction, Canada's uh, largest construction company. Uh, I was hired seven years ago to look after the the federal government uh, opportunities and relations with the federal government. Well, my company has its headquarters in Edmonton, Alberta. I'm stationed in Ottawa because that's where all the federal government decisions are made. So I've got big networks of people that I I, I work with, I uh, connect with, and a lot of them are folks that uh, from my previous career, when I was in the military for 32 years, that, that I dealt with then. So it, it's a, a little bit of a continuation of some of the work that I used to do as well. So it's really about taking your previous career and almost like repurposing those connections and that knowledge that you have and bringing it to the construction industry to help them really serve the government and the military better. Is that kind of what sums it up? That's a really good summary. Thank you. Okay, awesome. So before we dive into the real reason why I brought you on the podcast, and that reason is when the pandemic first hit mid-March-ish, I was like, oh my goodness, I need to do something for my own business. I need resources, I need learning. And so I read a book called The Hard Thing About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz. And he talked about how he was able to save his business during the 2008-2009 recession and ultimately sell it for tons and tons of money. And he talked about this concept of a wartime general and a peacetime general in how he was running his business. And when things went bad, he needed someone that could have that wartime leadership skills because the way he described it, he was fighting for the survival of the business. And I think I invited you a couple weeks ago to come on. I was like, I need to talk to somebody that I know in the military to explain this concept to me a little bit more. So thank you so much for agreeing to come on and sharing this expertise with me. But before we dive into that, I want you to take me back to the beginning of March and describe what was going on for you professionally. Wow, what an interesting time it was. Um, 
I, I think a lot of us knew that things were going to change. The world was was changing. The I don't know that the pandemic had actually been declared at that point, but we were all waiting for that to happen. We had been watching for a couple months uh, the events happening uh, far to the to the west of us in Asia, and we knew it was starting to come and, and hit us in North America. So with my sort of military background, I started doing the the challenging things of looking at things are going to change. That's the one guarantee. What are the potential options and what do I need to do for myself, for my team, for my networks in order to make sure that we can continue, we can survive, we can hopefully thrive uh, in those times. So I was already starting to think about some of that back then. So I'm really curious as to that. Did that come from corporately from the construction industry, or do you think that's your kind of military background that was so able to kind of see what's happening in the rest of the world and apply it to your own situation here in Canada? A little bit of a combination of, of all of the above. Uh, certainly my background of, of, you know, over 30 years in the military as a, as a senior officer was always looking at what's next, what do we need to do, how, how do we need to deal with it, and what do we look at the sort of strategic, operational, and tactical level plans that have to go with that? And I also, being part of my business, is to remain connected with a lot of federal government uh, folks in here in Ottawa. I remained connected with a lot of my former colleagues in the military, and they were already doing some significant planning, uh, and, and it was looking pretty serious. So I was aware of that, and I was trying to bring that into my company as well. So it was a bit of combination of everything, I think. I think that's really cool because I know when I'm talking to, well, specifically small business owners, we didn't have that foresight that you're talking about at the beginning of March to be thinking about these things. I remember the beginning of March, I was in Toronto hosting a networking event and it was great. And as soon as the pandemic hit, my friend in Toronto messaged me and he's like, remember I was nervous about people all passing around those appetizers and sharing? This is why. And so it just goes to show that myself, this event space, all the people that came to the event weren't really thinking like that at the beginning of March. And I really think it's cool and interesting. And it shows the kind of training that you have that you think differently than the rest of us. Yeah, I, at beginning of March, I had already basically ceased all of my face-to-face -face meetings at that point. I, based on, I was in the military when SARS and H1N1 uh, hit Canada and other parts of the world. And I know that from everything that we did there, the a pandemic or an epidemic is always worse locally than the statistics show. So I knew that we were probably already seeing stuff and already I and a lot of my colleagues had stopped face-to-face -face meetings, had stopped going to large events and things like that, even before I think it was what it was at the uh, the March 12th or 13th announcements by the different levels of government in Canada. Okay, so I'm just curious, as you're kind of stopping these meetings, you're kind of figuring out what to do, you have all these knowledge, you're ready to prepare, right? That's just, it just sounds like that's where your brain goes. It's like, you can see the challenge before it's even here, you were already preparing. I'm curious if any opportunities came up along the way that were maybe positive. Well, th there were some really positive uh, opportunities for me. Uh, I have a team of nine folks that work for me in the government um, government security sector within the work that I do within PCL. 
And back in February, I was already making sure that they all had the tools just in case they had to work from home, that they had all those, that they knew how to do it, that they had clarity on what their roles were, what their priorities were, and how we were going to potentially, if things changed, getting them thinking about it's don't be scared of change. That's the one guarantee that there's is in the world is change. Uh, but how are we going to look at it? And I tried getting them to have the perspective of don't let the situation own you, but understand the situation and then work within it so that you can get the best that you can do out of it and you can deliver the best, whether it's for your personal circumstances or your professional circumstances. And I was already starting some little sessions with, with uh, various members of my team back in February and early March just to get them thinking about that stuff so that if something did go and did happen, um, and if we did have a shutdown like we saw happened in, in Wuhan and China and other places, that we would be able to deal with it and it wouldn't be um, it it wouldn't be emotionally scarring. It would be something that they would have some tools in order to how to approach it more more professionally and without uh, feeling that inner angst and and uh, concern. Okay, this sounds great. It sounds like you're really you were really taking this approach of caring for your people, preparing them, making sure they have like they're safe physically, they're safe mentally. And I love how you said, don't let the situation um, get you, but like get the most out of the situation. Um, I love that reframe that you said, I actually might turn it into a quote and share it on the internet if that's okay. Um, but I'm curious, it sounds like things are going pretty smoothly for you. Did any roadblocks come up along the way in this plan? I, I personally don't like to use the term roadblocks. I use the term challenges always because a challenge is something that you can figure out and overcome. Roadblocks are, are a little bit more final and uh, I always like to believe that there's a way ahead. So there were lots of challenges that came up. Some of the challenges that came up had to do with how people were dealing with the, the changing situation, how they were dealing with their own personal and professional realities and I'm not talking about people within my organization, but the people that I dealt with. So there were some real challenges for the first few weeks uh, from the middle to end of March as to how a lot of the people that I normally deal with, how they were dealing with it, how they were learning how to connect within their own new reality. So that's where I think a lot of my real challenges were, was trying to deal with the folks that I did business with and how could I help them become more efficient, more effective, less concerned about um, uh, communications or how to become more effective with these distant communications. And for, for the over 30 years, I was a member of the Royal Canadian Navy and there's one truism, um, sailors, whether in Canada or anywhere else in the world, have been practicing uh, social distancing and physical distancing for hundreds and hundreds of years, we go out to ships and sea, and um, until only a few years ago, when when internet was available, we're literally from the time we slipped the lines on the wharfs and headed out to sea, we had almost no communications um, other than the military communications with our our home headquarters. So, 
I was used to going out for weeks and months and, and sometimes half a year at a time and having little or no communication. So learning how to do things effectively when you're not able to do face-to-face -face all the time, that was something that I'd always had uh, as, as I grew up in the Navy, so to say. So how did you share that knowledge? Because you said it was challenging at the beginning, working with your suppliers, your customers, all the other people that you work with. How did you take that knowledge and kind of share it with them? Um, I don't know that I, I you know, I, I tried to share anecdotes of, of how I previously dealt with, with issues. Um, a, a lot of the federal government folks that I dealt with in different departments had different tools and mechanisms within their own organizations that were helping them. Uh, and I, so I didn't want to um, provide them something that was different from what they were already getting from within their organizations. So it was a little bit, I was trepidatious at times to to talk to them. I didn't want to force them to do anything. But what I did stress with them always was that this is really the times when we really have to work hard at communicating. And sometimes we just have to do a little bit more of it in mo lots of different ways, but using phone, text, email, uh, social media, other things was always something that um, that I, I tried to stress that we just had to, to work on. I love that. So you're not kind of going in trying to micromanage people that you don't manage. You're just showing up and saying, you know what, we need to communicate. And however you want to do it, we are going to do that. And I know we're our friends on LinkedIn. And I see you on LinkedIn every single day, learning what's going on. And actually, you knew something that happened in my business, a challenge that I was facing before I even told you. So I love that you're connected with your customers, you're connected with people that you know, and even anticipating their challenges before they even know the challenge themselves. So I love that you're just infiltrating into their world, how they communicate, being there for them, and just encouraging them to do what works for them. Absolutely. So I'm really curious, I want to kind of go deeper into what I learned from that book, The Hard Thing About Hard Things. Because before you started working in construction, you said 32 years in the Navy, and you were in the Navy during a peace, you were um, in the Navy during times of conflict and war. And I'm just curious, is there a difference in leadership in those different times? Um there are and there aren't. It's sort of a funny answer. Um, good leaders are good leaders. They do all the right things to build the right teams, to build the strengths in their subordinates, their individuals, their teams. Uh, they make individuals and teams, small and big, self-sufficient and highly effective, able to roll with the blows. Uh, but the reality is, is that when you're dealing with real life situations where lives are on the line, and this might be during a time of war or crises, it might be during a peacekeeping operation, it might be doing you know, a, a, a search and rescue in a, a, um, in a you know, force three or four hurricane off of the coast of, of the Carolinas where a, you're rescuing a, a large ship that's gone that's going down etc so there's even in peacetime there are those times when people's lives are on the line and 
decisions need to be made. And that is when you get in sometimes to what you call the, the Hollywood or the directive kind of leadership. But that rarely, rarely happens. That is the, that directive leadership is the kind of leadership that happens if and when needed. But it is the stronger leadership in the weeks, months, and years before that, where a leader and teams work together, develop the trust, develop the ability to understand uh, what everyone is doing, what their roles are, and to become the, the most uh, highly effective teams that they can be long before you ever get to those, those wartime or those uh, dangerous situations. So yes, there are differences and it's in those really dangerous moments and, and situations, whether it be in battle and war or in a search and rescue in the middle of a storm uh, where, where lives quite frankly are on the line. That's when um, that directive Hollywood, I call it the Hollywood style of leadership that you see in movies comes through, but it's not always there. I would say 98% of the other time, it is a quieter, more subtle um, kind of leadership that, that you will usually see throughout, certainly in Canada's military, uh, as, as in, in the times of peace, as we prepare for, in the times of peace, we're always preparing for war, we're always preparing for the, the highest uh, level of of conflict or operations we could be on. Okay, I love that you shared that because when I read the book, it really said when you're in a recession, it recommended that you go to that Hollywood style of leadership that you described like all the time. So in the book, they were fighting for the business to survive and he hired a vice president of sales that was very command and control and he actually knew wasn't a fit for the culture of the organization, but that was the strategy that they implemented to save the business. So I love that you're sharing that that continuous like command and control leadership style is not the way it actually worked for you in the military because I thought I was just like, is that really the best way? But it's really like in the moment, sometimes you need to step up, be directive, get over the danger at hand, but then enable everybody else to step up, communicate collaborate all the great things that the business books tell us to do today so thank you for explaining that to me just if, if i could just follow up on that a little bit andrea so just to be clear there there are the times and absolutely i understand that that author and, and his business situation needed that command and control in business today the one guarantee is that things are going to change significantly perhaps in every 24 hours, we have seen significant changes across Canada in the provincial and federal approaches, in the support, in the guidelines, in the changes. And what you have to have is you have to have an organization that's nimble and agile, that can take the information in, can look at, at the changing circumstances, and have the leader or leadership, whether it's an individual or, or a team, um, that has the ability to to look at all of the issues, to get the best advice, to get the best ideas from their team, and then make the decision. And it is in these times where things change so rapidly and so so significantly from day to day, where it's decision-based, you've got to make the decisions. But most importantly, you need to have had set, set that team up for success. 
And it's the team that is supporting that decisive leader who's got to make the decisions. That decisive leader should not be expected to know everything and to have all the answers. What they have to have is, is, a, is the right team approach and the leadership having set the conditions so that the team and, and the, all the uh, individuals who participate in it can provide the best advice, the best ideas that they can, and then uh, make sure that the right decision is made. Now, it's up to then that, that leader to make the decision and whether it's in hindsight always right, we never know. But but it's sort of, it's always going to be something that uh, they're always looking at the balance of being directive, but making sure that the direction is based off of the best that the organization can put forward to support that leader who's making the decision. So I have a question about this because I think business leaders today are faced with making decisions with imperfect information more than they ever have had to before. And that's all you always have to make decisions with imperfect information in business. And that's just like a senior officer in the military. Absolutely. But I think now for business leaders, it's new territory, whereas in the military, you're I think maybe you would have faced more situations where you need to make these decisions. So your brain is there, the systems might be there. What are some things that you learned from quick decision-making that you could share with business leaders today who are having to be in that spot to make that quick decisions and not really knowing all the information? I, I think as a leader, it was understanding who, who was on your team, who had strengths and weak, what their strengths and weaknesses were, where their ability to to rapidly assess changing situations, to adjust what they were doing or what their advice and guidance and input was to the team and to me as the leader, uh, and and being able to leverage and maximize that input. And then having a, a sort of a senior team approach to be able to bounce those key ideas uh, in the end off uh, each other to, and, and for them to be honest and you know, in front of me to say yes or no, to, to be honest as to, you know, ne- I never wanted a yes man or a yes woman to to be as part of the team. I wanted someone who was going to be rational and objective and to give their honest uh, input and opinion. But then ultimately when the decision is made, the team then together has to move forward. And and so that was sort of, I think, the, the big thing that for me. Okay, so I love that. So you shared a lot of tools and tips for leaders who are trying to make decisions today, trying to lead their teams. But I wanna shift the conversation a little bit around what leaders can do to support their staff because they don't know what's going on. They're scared. They may have some anxiety about what's happening. What can you do as a leader to really step up and be there for your team right now? Communicate, communicate, communicate. But unfortunately, all communications aren't always effective. So communicate effectively as best as you can. Be honest. Um, A couple of things that I've tried to set in place uh, with my team and helping some other folks uh, set up their teams is when working from distance in these changing circumstances where there's a lot of unknown, like I have some some of our staff who have young children at home and they're dealing with, because schools are closed, they're having to deal with the parenting, the schooling, but as well, they're working from home. 
I'm not forcing them to work. You know, you must work from eight to five every day. You can take one hour off for lunch. No, no, no. Flexibility is the key to sea power. So I want them to be flexible. I'm flexible with what uh, we can get from them. But in order to get the best that we can from from the team and from the employees is make sure that what I'm giving them, so I, I need to prepare my guidance, my taskings, uh, my priorities much more carefully than I would normally if I was meeting them face-to-face -face in the office uh, scenario. I, and I need to really look at the priorities and then I need to choose the person and the task uh, for that person. I need to make sure that I communicate it clearly and uh, and make sure that I establish and, and document the clear expectations of, of the task that is there. And one of the things I have always got my team and, and my my team right now would, would chuckle because I, I use SMART, SMART objectives, you know, specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, and time-based. I'm very, um, I, I find it very important that don't just say, okay, I want you to go and do that. I, I, I want to be very clear. This is exactly what we need to do. Um, here's how it fits in with, with the bigger scope of things. And here's here's the uh, deliverable, you know, you need to give me a two-page summary of this or that. Um, we, you need to be able to, it can't be a task that, oh, they're never going to get done for six months because we just don't have the information or the resources to do it. It has to be attainable. It has to be relevant so they have to understand where it fits in and need to be clear. And we need to see the first draft of that on Thursday morning by 10 o'clock. That way, they're understanding of intent and their understand, understanding the expectations is much clearer and allows them the freedom to be able to uh, to work through all of that. Oh, I love that. It's almost uh, like going back to basics and that is really what the best step forward is right now. It, it is. It is back to fundamentals of how we communicate how we assign tasks and work. It's, I, I think, one thing for leaders and managers in business today, we have to be more diligent as to how we put together the tasks and, and set the priorities that we're setting for our team and to make sure that we have the communications so that we can, um, we can deal with the questions or the uncertainty or the, the curveballs that they might experience as they're starting to work on their tasks. One thing that I've, I, I try to do is, is once a week, twice a week with each of my, my key and senior employees is I set up a virtual coffee with them, 15, 20 minutes booked uh, and in a time that's good for them, because understanding some of them might be at home, you know, that their kids might have some some online classes or whatever. So it's at a time that fits for them. And we we're using a ability so that we can uh, use sort of video conferencing on our business systems. And it's a one on one coffee. They've got a coffee in front of them or a tea. And I've got a coffee in front of me. And I just it's a check in. How are you doing? How are things going? And I, I just make sure I give them the opportunity to do 
uh, or to tell me about what's going on. And that's when I hear often if there are other things that aren't perhaps 100% that I can work on that I need to, you know, help them with or that they've got some issues somewhere else that I can help with. So I, I find that that's part of the, you really have to set up your your communications very diligently to be a, a successful leader or manager in these uncertain times where we really don't meet face-to-face -face that much anymore. Okay, I love it. So David, thank you so much for sharing all of this wisdom with me today. I learned a lot. I'm going to implement some of this in my business with my team starting this afternoon. Um, but I always encourage people to take action within 24 hours after learning something new. So can you share one action that people can do today or tomorrow to be a better leader, communicate better, and show up better for their team right now? If, if we're looking at a, at a business leader or manager, I would suggest go and take a look at what guidance... Uh, what taskings and priorities have been given out by them most recently and sitting back in the light of day, do they still make sense to them? And do they need to, uh, do they need to be better at defining, enunciating and providing that information and taskings uh, to their team? Just, just take a good hard look at it and would it be sufficient to them getting what they're getting? Uh, knowing what they're knowing. Um, one thing that that I really have also used, another tool, uh, President Eisenhower, who was also General Eisenhower in the Second World War, used to use a, a quadrant thing, and he had it so that it, he had what was important and what was urgent, what was not important, not urgent. And a lot of times things happen uh, in a regular scheme of, of business in the office, where something comes up, it's, oh, I need that now, but really it's not all that important. So you have to deal sometimes with the urgency, but if you know something's important and not urgent, schedule it. If you know it's important and urgent, get it done. And if it's a different part of the quadrant, not so important and not so urgent, then think really hard about why you're doing it and what you're doing. Just, just you can probably Google uh, the Eisenhower um, urgent uh, tasking guidelines. Totally. I think that probably was in Seven Habits of Highly Effective People as well, that quadrant. I think that is, yes, in that, that was, God, that's from 20-something years ago. Mm -hmm. You've got a good memory. Yeah, that's a great tool. So just focusing on what's important and not getting stuck. Because I always say, I like to say stuck in the grind. Because when you're stuck on those urgent, not important things, you get stuck in the grind, you are not productive and you're not really moving the business forward at all. So making sure people on your team are doing things that are important and going to move the business forward and get really specific on what that is. That's great. That's a great step for people to take. Thank you for that, David. And thank you so much for coming on my podcast. I loved interviewing you and learning about your experience in the military and how you're applying it to leading your team today. So thank you so much. Thank you, Andrew. It's been a real pleasure. Hi there. Before you go, I was wondering if I could ask you a huge favor. Can you click on iTunes and give the podcast a five-star review and also a comment? 
this would mean the world to me. It also helps us to spread the word about the podcast and attract higher profile guests. We want to be able to deliver thought leadership around diversity inclusion every single week and having more reviews on iTunes will help us to do that and help us to keep the show going for free for you. So please head to iTunes right now, give us a five-star review and leave us a comment. Thanks so much. 